Well, happy Father's Day. We are just celebrating fatherhood uh, today. And uh, you may have tuned in thinking you were going to hear week number three in our series, You Are Made for This. But uh, honest to goodness, I don't do this very often. But just coming up on Father's Day this week, I just felt really strong tug uh, by the Holy Spirit to, to just talk to the dads. Um, I normally don't do necessarily a Father's Day message or a Mother's Day message, but but I really felt a real tug in my heart to do that. And so that's what we're going to do today. We'll, we'll pick up the message series next week. We'll be the finale of You Were Made for This. But uh, it is Father's Day. And, and I can't think of, honest to goodness, a more kind of unappreciated, undervalued segment of our culture and society today than fathers. And, and I think that maybe that's, why, uh, maybe that's why it was just so much on my heart uh, this week, just as I was praying about it and spending some time with God, uh, uh, to talk to the dads, because so many dads are discouraged, very few role models, you certainly can't look to media uh, to find a positive role model, quick to report any negative thing that a father, you know, does or, or says, but sitcoms on TV, dad's always kind of like a bumbling idiot, you know, just a joke, uh, very few positive role models that you would see in a movie or a television program or or, or anything like that, uh, and, and yet isn't it amazing that Jesus revealed God as Father, and Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, because I and the Father are one, and so if you're okay with Jesus, you're okay, you know, if you love Jesus, you, you gotta love God the Father as well, and he really is the perfect example of every parent, not just fathers, but mothers as well, and none of us had perfect fathers, uh, none of us are perfect fathers. None of us had perfect parents. But, but there's so much that the Bible has to say about really the father heart of God. And, and I want to take a look at that today because God takes it really, really seriously. Like he is, he is so focused on fatherhood and, and it's so important to him. My notes are on our website, valleyny.cc, but uh, and you can follow along, but let's just jump right in. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 through 3 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it will, may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. So just think about this for just a minute. This is actually a quote from the Ten Commandments found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 20. And this is so important to God that he adds the promise to the, this whole idea of honoring your father and mother. If you're a child, in other words, if you're living in the home, then, then, then you're required to obey your parents. But when you are an adult, you have your own place, you're out on your own, that requirement to honor your father and mother is never released. In other words, it is a lifetime requirement, an obligation of every child, whether they're in the home or grown, to honor their father and mother. And this is so important to God that he actually gives a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. He literally says, if you want to live long, honor your father and mother. If you don't, you just dishonor them, just dis disrespect them. And, and so it's really crazy when you think about it. We, we really as parents are required by God to train our children to honor us. And, and when we're doing that, you're preparing them to live a long life. One of the worst things we can ever do as parents is tolerate dishonor and disrespect from our children because God says their life's gonna be shorter on account of that. If you love your kids, 
and, and most parents I know do, sometimes don't know how to love them the right way. If you love your kids, teach them to honor and respect you. Because God gives this promise, quoted from the Old Testament, right in the New Testament, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. This is an unqualified promise. In other words, it doesn't matter if they deserve it or not. It doesn't say, honor them if they're a good father, honor them if they're a good mother, honor them if they're really great, honor them if they get you what you want for Christmas, honor them if they always are positive and they're not negative. It is completely unqualified. Because they are your father, because they're your mother, honor them. There's no qualification on it whatsoever. And, and here's the thing. Men are so driven, just like ladies, kids, let me let you know. Men are so driven by respect that, that when a child honors a father, it opens that father's heart up. That, that whole idea of honor and respect is so ingrained into men in fact, the Bible puts it this way, and you can check this out. In 1 Peter chapter 3, it says that, that for a wife can completely turn her husband's heart 180 degrees just by honoring him, just by showing him respect and honor. In other words, without saying anything, just by demonstrating that she honors him and respects him, it can completely reverse a hard man's heart, her husband's hard heart, if she would just honor him and respect him. Pretty powerful. So this is kind of the framework I want to talk about, the father heart of God, the, the heart of a great father, because God is a perfect father, and, and none of us are, but every one of us can grow, every one of us can step up, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, become better men, become better fathers, and, and this applies also to, to the women as well, become better mothers, because they're supposed to have these qualities as well. So let's look at six qualities, really, of, of God's heart, the heart of a great father. The first is a faithful provider. Your heavenly Father is a faithful provider. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31, beginning verse 31, Jesus is speaking. He says, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What, what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. In other words, the godless, those who give no thought at all to God, they run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. God knows what it is that you need. God knows exactly what it is that I need. Jesus continues to speak, and he goes on and he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and these things will be given to you as well. Isn't that amazing that Jesus is actually saying the things you eat, food, clothing, shelter, when you read the whole context there in, in Matthew chapter 6, God will provide all those things when you put them first. When you put first, he's the ultimate provider. He's a faithful provider. Can I put it this way? God loves being your father. God loves being your father. And I guess the question right now is, do you allow him to be your heavenly father the way he wants to be? He loves you, and he loves being your heavenly father, and he wants to be the faithful provider to you if you'll just let him. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, it says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, Never will I leave you, and never will I forsake you. That may not be your experience with your earthly father, 
But, but that's God's experience. He says, I am always going to be there for you. I'm never, you'll never have to look, you'll, you'll, you'll never be searching for me and you won't find me. I'm always gonna, I'm never gonna leave you. I'm never gonna forsake you. Interesting connecting the dots in this verse that, that it actually says there that we run after all kinds of earthly possessions and position and power when the reality is it's God that brings contentment to our hearts. When we realize He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. We, 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 don't, we don't run after all these other things, money and, and, and all these other things, you, you know, to try to fill that hole that only God can really fill. Because he said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Isn't it interesting in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, I'm sorry, verse 2, 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, Paul the Apostle is, is writing to Timothy, a young pastor, about just, just empowering other leaders in the church, turning over to the other people in the church, uh, things that were entrusted to Timothy by Paul. And look at what he says. And these things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't say, commit these things to men who have the gift of teaching. He doesn't say commit these things to powerful men. He doesn't say commit these things to wealthy men, articulate men. What does he say? Faithful men. Men that have been faithful. Men that have been faithful to their wife. Men that have been faithful to their kids. Men that have not put their career and their job and chasing after all kinds of other things above their wife and their children, not sacrifice their family for their own dreams. A man who isn't faithful negates everything else he's ever done. You want to break your child's heart to pieces in a way that only God supernaturally can heal over time? Father, just cheat on their mother. Just be unfaithful to your wife. You, you can get your kid every Christmas, every toy that comes out at Christmas, the, the latest and the greatest, you will never heal their heart if you cheat on their mother. That's how important that is. God says faithful men. You entrust it to faithful men. Not powerful, not wealthy, not popular, not handsome. Faithful. A man who is faithful to his wife and to his kids. Faithful, what is that word? That word faithful means sacrificially to commit ourselves to God, commit ourselves to our wives, and commit ourselves to our children. See, see God is a faithful provider, and he wants us as fathers to be a reflection of that faithfulness. Here's the second thing. God the Father is attentive. He's attentive Matthew chapter 10, again, Jesus is explaining this. And he says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet no one, not one of them will fall, fall to the ground outside your father's care. In other words, God cares even about the sparrows. And even when, even the very hairs on your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. He's like, you're more valuable. How valuable am I to God? You're worth Jesus to God. And, and so is your child, Dad. That's why it's so important that we, that we love them in a, in a godly way. And the, 
from the Father heart of God. Allow His love. Be attentive to our children. Be, be, can I put it this way? Get off the computer. Put down the phone when we're home and focus in on our wife. Focus in on our children. That's the way that God is. God is attentive. He sees even a sparrow fall. Even the, the hair on our head, he's numbered those. And, and I, I know that, that God's into subtraction as far as Greg Williamson goes because that number just decreases every, every uh, seems like every week. Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, Jesus says, But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. That's how attentive he is. That's how close he is. He sees it all. And, and one of the most important things for a father is to be very much in tune with and attentive to their children. Moods, body language, the way they're expressing themselves, that, that, that a good father pays attention to all those things. Not just, you know, reading the paper or whatever on the phone. Oh, go ask your mom. Go ask your mom. That's not the way God does us. That's not the way God does us, men. That's not the way we're supposed to do our children. God is attentive. Could I put it this way? A father's heart is always on his home, even if he's not there. A father's heart is always on his home. I, I'm, I'm blessed in the sense that, that Susie and I work together. I, I mean, we literally, in any 24-hour period, we're probably together uh, counting sleeping probably about 22 hours out of every 24. But I, I do remember it wasn't always that way when, when the kids were younger, and, uh, and, and I just remember just wanting to get home so bad every day, just, just to walk in the door and to have the dogs attack me and, uh, and the kids and, and, and Susie and, and just to be able to be there and help. Our Heavenly Father, His heart is always for you. He never forgets you. He's never too busy on the other side of the cosmos for you. God's heart is on you all the time. And, and, and those, those are the priorities that, that the Bible makes really, really clear for, for every man who wants to be a man of God. First is God. Then if you're married, it's your wife. Then secondly are your children when God blesses you with your kids. And then others after that. And so for me as a pastor, if, I, if I'm prioritizing my life in the right way, God is first Susie is second. The kids come after Susie because here's the crazy thing. The kids are gone now, see? Susie and I, we, we got married for a lifetime. Our kids are gone. No, none of them are at home. We're still there. God's first. She's second. The children are third. And everyone else, career, all that stuff is after that. Valley Christian Church is after that. If I ever mess up that order... <laughs> I'm a, I am not being the pastor you need me to be and God expects me to be. I'm not being the man that, that God wants me to be. I'm not being the husband. I'm not being the father. If, if I put my kids before my wife, I'm not, being the I'm not being the best father to them that I could be. The best thing you can ever do, Dad, for your children, love their mother. Love their mother. It's the greatest thing you can ever do to bring security in the life of your kids. Love their mother. Make sure they know it. Here's the next way that God, his father heart, time, time. 
Do you know how, how children spell love? T-I-M-E. That's how kids spell love. Time. James chapter four, verse eight. I, I love New Living Translation. Puts it this way. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Like he, he wants to spend time with you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. And, and your loyalty, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. God's loyalty is not divided. Our loyalty is divided. Come close to God. He's waiting. He's waiting for you. He's waiting for me. Look at Psalm 63, verse 6 through 8. It says, I lie awake thinking of you. This, this, this is the psalmist saying this of God. Meditating on you through the night because you are my helper. I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. That, that's, the, that's what God wants for every single one of us that our heart would long to be with him all the time. Did you know that if you want to spend an entire day with God, he'll spend the entire day with you? Have you ever thought about that? If you want to spend 14 hours in a row with God, he'll be there for every second. Every second. I've heard it put this way before. We have as much of God as we really desire. There's no shortage on his part. He'll be with us as much as we want to. That's one of the amazing things when we talk about theology is God's omnipresence, that all of him is everywhere simultaneously. So what that means is that every second of your life you live out, you do, with the undivided attention of God upon you. That's a father. And at the same time, his undivided attention is on me without any distraction. He's there for it. Time. How much, how much time do you spend with your heavenly father? And dads, not only how much time do you spend with your heavenly father, how much time do you spend with your kids? That's how they spell time, T-I-M-E. God is not into the instant. God is into the journey, and he wants to be on the journey along with me and you. Think about it for a minute. Time is the essential commodity for all relationships. If I want to keep you from being successful in your relationships, all I have to do is keep you busy so you can't invest in relationships. If, if the devil wants to keep you from being successful, all he's got to do is keep you busy doing all kinds of other things so you don't have time to invest in your marriage. So you don't have time to invest in your children. That, that's, that's all he has to do, and, and we won't be successful. Time is the essential commodity for all relationships. It's impossible to be close to a person that you don't spend time with. That's an impossibility. That's why God sent Jesus, showed us the, to live among us, and that's why the Holy Spirit is always with us, just as we already looked at. God will never leave us and he'll never forsake us. He wants to spend time with you. He wants to spend time with me. That's our perfect heavenly father. As a father, the heart of a great father wants to. Also a heart of mercy and grace. Mercy and grace. In Psalm 103, it talks about God's heart. Psalm 103, beginning in verse 8, says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He'll not always chide, 
nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. He goes on and says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. I love that first line, the Lord is merciful and gracious. Those are two different things. Those don't mean, those are not synonyms. What what does mercy mean? Mercy means I'm not going to give you what you deserve. Mercy means you messed up, you blew it, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to give you what what you deserve. I'm going to have mercy instead. I'm going to, I'm going to overlook that. I'm going to forgive. That's what God says. I'm going to forgive. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. They'll be shown mercy. Mercy means I'm not going to give you what you deserve. What does grace mean? Grace means I am going to give you what you don't deserve. So mercy says, I'm not giving you what you deserve, which is, you know, awful, bad consequence. I'm not going to give you the the negative. I'm not going to hold it against you. Mercy says, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. Grace says, I am going to give you what you don't deserve instead. That's who God the Father is. A heart full of mercy and grace. And I love how it says that the, he, he shows compassion to those who fear him. That word compassion, very interesting, uh, comes from a Latin word. Uh, and what it literally means is to suffer alongside of, to suffer with. That's what Jesus did. He came down to us. He came down to you. He came, he came near to us. He has compassion on those who fear him. Heart of grace and mercy. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 puts it this way. And without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Think about that for just a minute. What is the, what is the reward for those who earnestly seek God, mercy and grace. That's the reward, mercy and grace. God has high standards for you, and at the same time, he knows you're a human being, Dad. He, he, he knows you're not perfect. That's why you need to come to him. That, that's why you need to run to him. <laughs> that, that's why put your faith in him, your trust in him so that he, he extends mercy and grace with a heart full of compassion. God has high standards, but he also knows that you and I are human, and when we fail, then we need to come. And, and, and we need to come believing that he exists, and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Here, here's the next thing about a great heart of a father. Expressive love. God has express, God expressed his love for you. He's expressed his love for me Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, it says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, when we had baptism last week, just such a powerful time, 25 people baptized, following Jesus' example, this is, this is him being baptized here in Matthew chapter 3. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And it goes on and says, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. God, the heavenly, our Heavenly Father, gave Jesus that positive verbal affirmation. 
Why was he pleased? Because of his obedience. It's not the only time this happened. It's also happened a second time in the Gospels where, where God spoke and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased on the Mount of Transfiguration. What's interesting there is Peter, James, and John, they're like, oh, let's build, let's build some sheds and just live up here. And, and God adds a little caveat to what he says. He goes, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. In other words, kind of like, shut up and listen. Don't, don't do anything. Listen to him. Two times in Jesus' life, God audibly, that other people could hear it, said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. If the son of God, God himself, Jesus, had the father give him that verbal affirmation, I think as fathers, we need to give verbal and specific affirmation to our kids as well. Don't just say, I'm proud of you. Tell them why you're proud of them. Don't, don't just tell them you love them. Say, I love when, when you do this. I love, when you, I, I love this about you. I, I remember my girls were playing sports. I, I would just, after the, the uh, game, I'd try to go up to them and just, I just love watching you run up and down. But yeah, but daddy, I didn't score. Yeah, but I just love watching you in there. I love watching you give your, your full effort. I, I, I love watching you cheer on your teammates. Be specific with your praise. Just as God the Father was with Jesus. It wasn't kind of coincidental when he went under the water of baptism and came out again. God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He, he is doing exactly what I want him to do. He, he's, follow, he's living his life the way I want him to and I'm well pleased with him. Open affection. Let me, let me say this, Dad. Open affection of a father is critical to a child's self-esteem, to a child's security, to a, to a child's sexual development. And I know sometimes it get awkward. You, you know, I had three girls raised. Susan and I raised three girls, and there's a time, you know, long about 12, 13, when it gets a little awkward. Their bodies start changing hug your girls listen hug your girls dad or some snotty nosed boy gonna hug them way too early hug your girls I, I was at a pastor's retreat recently and they were talking to a couple and they have four girls that, that are just real real young like four girls uh, uh, under age seven or something like that and uh, under age eight and and uh, the, the father asked me, he goes, you have any word of advice? That's what I gave him right there. Hug your girl. Don't ever stop hugging your girls. Even at times when you're like, oh, dad, hug them. Put your arms around them and hug them. It's so important. I, and I'd probably say the exact same thing for sons. Dad, hug your boys. Just, just put your arm around Just hug them. Just, just, it makes a huge difference. Affirm them verbally, specifically. Hug them. Children need physical and verbal affection of their dads. It, 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 it kind of centers them so much. You, you remove that, there, there's all kinds of things that are going to be vying to fill that vacuum in there. When they don't have that verbal, specific affirmation from their father, they don't have that physical affection either. You know, my father passed away in January Last, last conversation that I had with him uh, right, right in December, that week before, right week between 
Christmas, New Year's there. My dad said, I love you, son. I'm so proud of you. Last thing I ever heard my dad say. You, you don't know what that does to me for the rest of my life. I had a similar thing with my mother, too. One of the last things that she said to me, you've been a good son. That just, that just fills me up. Both my parents are gone now, and I hang on those words. Wasn't the only time I heard it. I, I will say this. It didn't come easy to my, my dad. It, it was probably until I was about 40. <laughs> first time my dad said he was proud of me. He told me he loved me, but the first time he said he was proud of me, I was probably 40 years old. And, 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 and maybe dads, this is awkward for you. You can get better. You can do it. It's awkward as it is. You can do it. Final thing is relational authority. The heart of a great father has relational authority. Not just authority, relational authority. Listen to what the scripture says. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7 through 10. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? Father's supposed to be the disciplinarian in the family. Right there in the Bible. Not mom, dad is. It's our job, it's our responsibility. If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. Isn't that crazy? The correlation, the Bible says, when, when a father disciplines their child, the child respects the father. Right there in the Bible. Moreover, we all had human fathers that disciplined us and we respected them for. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits, that's God, our Heavenly Father, and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. That, that God, God loves, and, and one of the things, he corrects us. It, it, is, it is a father who doesn't correct their child doesn't love their child that doesn't discipline a child, doesn't love their child, the Bible says. And so it's so important to have relational discipline. It all comes out of relationship. Let me read one more passage, and, and then I want to kind of like unpack this, because this is, I think, really, really important. A lot of parents kind of have wrong ideas about this from, from everyone else, but not from what God said, who created family and knows how it's supposed to work best. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. Let's go back to it again. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. This is where we started. But let's look at the next verse as well. Fathers, specific to dads. Why? Because the father's supposed to be the disciplinarian in the home. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. What is this talking about? It's talking about relational authority. Non-relational parenting breaks a child's spirit and provokes them to wrath. In, in other words, when it's not clearly communicated to a child what the expectations are, and it's just, you did this, now you're getting disciplined, that actually stirs anger in the heart of a child. It's so important to communicate what the expectations are, communicate really what you want to see, the behavior that's right, the behavior that's wrong. Because if you, if, you're, if you haven't patiently explained to your children what you expect of them, you really don't have a right to discipline them when they do something wrong. 
You really don't have a right to do that. That's what this is saying to dads. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Well, how, how does that happen? Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. If you instruct them and you train them, they won't be exasperated. You don't stir up anger inside of them. But if you don't instruct a child and, and, and you don't train them and you don't have that relationship with them, it causes anger and it causes actually rebellion in them. And so the Bible sets forth, God shows us relational authority. See, our Heavenly Father doesn't, uh, he doesn't bark from heaven. <laughs> he lives in our hearts. He lives with us. I, I mean, there were times that, that, you know, one of our girls probably tested us a little bit more than the others. And there were times that I had to tell her, you know, I said, baby, I know you probably don't even like me right now. But what I'm doing is for your own good. And the correction I'm bringing is for your own good. And I'm not really concerned about how you feel about me right now. But one day you'll, you'll thank me for it. You'll thank me for it. And she did. And God got a hold of her heart. And she's walking with Jesus today, all three of our girls. And, and I'm thankful for my son-in-laws, too. You know, with five, our five kids. Susie gave birth to three. We got five now. Two of them married. I'm thankful for them. I'm thankful for the parents of my son-in-laws that did an outstanding job raising their kids. Parents, you, you, you're wondering as you're raising that boy, man, I wonder if any other parent out there is doing this, raising a girl for him. They are. They, they, they are. You just trust God. God will bring them together. You're, you're raising your daughter. Man, I, I'm trying to raise her the right way, be a good daddy to her. Show her what's right. Show her the way. Walk with God. Well, I just wonder if anybody else is out there raising a boy for my girl. Yes, they are. I promise you they are, and God will bring them at the right time. But this is our Heavenly Father's heart. This is a heart, I, every one of us, and let me just talk to dads, what, what one area, we looked at six, do you, do, would you say right now, I need to step up in this area. I need to become a better father in this area. That's where I want you to focus your prayer. Your prayer, and realize you're asking the perfect Heavenly Father for His help. And he'll help you. He'll help you. Right now what I want to do is just, I, I want to kind of close this message with a, with a special video that I think is especially appropriate for Father's Day. And, and this is called The Prayer of a Father. Let's go ahead and roll that right now. God, you are my father. Because of the sacrifice of your son, because of your grace and mercy, and forgiveness of my sin. Speaking as your son on Father's Day, I've come to ask you for help for the son you've given me. Please make him hungry for wisdom every day. Cause him to quickly lose his appetite for the foolishness of the world. Help him to recognize your power in all that you've made 
and to grasp the meaning of love you showed him on the cross. Give him the courage to escape the sins that will trap him and the pride that will blind him to his need for you. Bring him to the moment where he will fix his eyes on Jesus and begin to run the race you've marked out for him. Thank you for making a way for my son to be your son. Help him to become the man you mean for him to be. Listen, dads, happy Father's Day. We see you, we celebrate you, we value you. We're so grateful for every sacrifice that you have made and that you continue to make on our behalf. Reflecting, and we know you're not perfect and we're not either, but reflecting the perfect heart of our Heavenly Father. We are eternally indebted to you, Dad. We love you. Happy Father's Day.